This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. I started making music when I was in high school, when I was a freshman in high school. This is Andrew Schwab. How's my audio? He's the lead singer of Project 86 and the author of a bunch of books. He's also the host of a podcast. I have to plug that throughout your episode, of course. He really wanted me to include that. He said it several times. Which is Pioneer's podcast, and we're uh, on Patreon, and we're also uh, wherever podcasts are found. And who can blame him? He's got a lot going on. Anyhow, back to the story about his first band. And it was a really awful hip hop project called Dwight Posse, which is probably the worst band name in the history of band names. But I was 14 at the time, so I think I get a pass because so much time has passed. I just said pass twice in that sentence. The music came out of a difficult home environment. His parents split when he was young. He spent a lot of time in his head. After three or four different bands, he decided to do something a little more serious. I always vent through my difficulties, my frustrations, my disappointments in the music of Project 86. And I always say that it's a tale of disillusionment, definitely connected to my spiritual journey throughout our 10 albums and 22 year career. His lyrics are different. They're very honest, as are his books. Project 86 has this song called The Spy Hunter. It's about someone who has abused his power, whose empire is now falling. The chorus is, we caught you plotting murder, and now the tide is turning. We'll light our souls, heal our bones, upon your empire burning. Heavy stuff and they began to build an audience. It took a lot of shows and a lot of intention and strategy and decisions to go from obscurity into a national spotlight. Around 2000, they really started to hit it big. Here's a great story. He spent a lot of time thinking about this thing that happened to him in 2001. I was at uh, an outdoor mall in Southern California. It's a hipster mall that's famous in Orange County. It's called The Lab. It's got coffee shops, urban outfitters, art galleries. It's apparently also a great place for photo shoots. I've done numerous photo shoots at this place, so. He had to uh, use the facilities. And there's one set of bathrooms at one end of the lab that had no door and I went into the stall and someone had scratched into the stall door. We caught you plotting murder. We caught you plotting murder. It was a quote from his band. The song hadn't been released on an album yet. It was also the title of his first book, scratched into the bathroom stall of a cool hipster shopping plaza. Something I wrote in a book not just as a lyric, but as a commentary about the culture in which we lived. And someone applied it to their context and found enough meaning in it that they took the time to scratch it into a bathroom stall. He'd made it. He'd had an actual impact. I was cool in my own mind because somebody had done this. My life had meaning. I could tell my grandkids this story, and they could tell their grandkids this story. Hey, 
your grandfather, your great-great-grandfather did something lasting and memorable and meaningful with his life. You are listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. Andrew's story, as odd as it seems, illustrates an important idea, that many of us want to be known, to have someone notice us. We all want to be inherently heard. We all want to feel like we're special. We all want to feel like our lives have a purpose, and that is inherent to the human condition. It's when we take that healthy, God-given desire and turn it into something God doesn't want that we get into trouble. And I don't think the desire for those things is wrong, just like the desire for sex isn't wrong, right? It is how we deal with that innate human desire that determines who we are as people and determines whether or not the demonstration or execution of those desires is healthy or unhealthy for us. We want to be heard, and we want to hear, to, to hear other people see what they're going through, what they think. We want to hear from people of authority, from experts. We're in the midst of a series on the influencer economy, where we examine this phenomenon. How has the desire to influence and to be influenced by others shaped Christianity, and how it can be exploited? As a warning, these next two episodes are going to feel like splitting hairs. I promise you, this is going somewhere. These seemingly inconsequential struggles create major vulnerabilities in the way we think. And those vulnerabilities are frequently, sometimes disastrously, exploited. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. First, what is an influencer? It's a broad term used to describe anyone who has influence over other people. It's politicians influencing society, preachers guiding their congregations, teachers and their classrooms, authors and their readers. Those are some more traditional models. In the age of the internet, our influences can come from just about anywhere. Some people make a career out of it. According to Hopper HQ, which is a platform you can use to schedule Instagram posts, Beyonce makes $700,000 for one sponsored Instagram post. Justin Bieber, $630,000. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, 
$650,000. The people that you may have seen 20 years ago on a television ad are now making serious money for one post. But if you scroll down through the list of influencers, you get to people who are only internet famous. Those guys can still make between one and $10,000 per post. We're talking YouTubers, bloggers, photographers, lifestyle gurus. Posting on the internet can be a whole career for these people. You might be asking yourself, why would anybody pay to have one of those people post on social media? Because aligning our products with celebrities can be good business. I mean, think about Michael Jordan and Hanes underwear. NASCAR drivers with logos on their cars and clothes. Matthew McConaughey and whatever luxury automobile he's selling with those strange commercials. Maybe only rich people understand those. This has been going on for a long time. But now people who have a tiny little niche following on YouTube can be sponsored by some of the biggest companies in the world. Want your t-shirt brand to gain traction? Pay a celebrity to post a picture with them in your shirt or pay a podcaster to name drop your product. Big name brands are getting behind this stuff. They find the people of influence and get them to sell merchandise. If you did the media timeout a few weeks ago, you may remember we tried to draw attention to who's marketing to you. What is your news trying to sell? What agendas do your favorite TV shows push? Everyone is selling something. And there are tricks to this, of course, ways to play the game, and Christianity is not without these trappings, these temptations. I want to draw your attention to this phenomenon so we can reflect, and so that we're all aware of this process we may be unknowingly participating in. There are two major angles to take this from. Let's take it from the product standpoint first. Let's say you've got an idea. Eureka! You've got the best design for socks that there has ever been. They have a strip of Velcro so they stick together. That way you never lose just one in the dryer. Not the worst idea, so you patent it. Here's your patent, sir. I'm on my way. You take measurements, <laughs> call factories. Hello? Hello? Is this Bangladesh? I'd like to hire you to make my socks. Eventually, you get a truckload of the world's greatest socks. The world's greatest socks. Now you need someone to sell them for you. Someone with some clout. Someone who people listen to to back your product. Because you've got a garage or a warehouse full of your brilliant idea. Can't afford a big Hollywood actor? Maybe pay a YouTuber who has a vlog where she reviews fashion. You guys, check out these socks. She's got a hundred thousand subscribers. You have to get these, you guys. She says something on her blog, maybe you offer her a cut of every sock that sells from a link on her website, and boom, your sales go up. That is commerce in the 21st century. How socks go from a semi-lousy idea to... If you dress like me, you'd be so hot right now. It's pretty cut and dry when it's just a product. Socks, shoes, cars, stuff like that. But what happens when you've got something else you'd like people to know about? Like, say the gospel. You can't just hire Chris Hemsworth to go on television and tell people to get saved. Well, you probably could, but that's not very practical. So what if you're a pastor who really wants to get the word out? A simple gospel message. 
and you see these people on YouTube, could you use this technology for Jesus? Here's the thing. If you just make a video and slap it on YouTube, chances are that nobody will ever see it because you're a nobody. We want to hear from people we already know and respect. You can't afford to hire Chris Hemsworth or even that fashion blogger, so can you become the celebrity spokesman yourself? The voice of the voiceless, the person of influence. Seems easy enough. Here's the difficult thing though. This technology comes with a lot of trappings, extra temptations, stuff that makes me feel kind of uneasy. Think of your favorite radio pastor. I don't know who that is. Maybe it's John MacArthur or Greg Laurie, Francis Chan. There are so many of them. Let's say that your local pastor, Steve, Bless you, my son. sees these mega pastors and wants to use the internet to be like them to get the gospel out there. Because, as the Barna Group reported, almost one out of every four American adults, 23% of us, said that they downloaded a sermon in the past week. And guess what? That study was released 11 years ago. It's probably much higher now. So, Pastor Steve, How's your sweet ailing mother doing? Who has the best of intentions, just wants to get the gospel out there. Tell her I'll be praying for her. If your pastor wants to make it above the noise, above the Magic the Gathering vloggers and cat videos, he has to market himself. Social media, maybe do some videos. If we stream the service online, the shut-ins at the old folks' home will be able to hear the announcements every Sunday. Start an Instagram account. Here's me and the missus. At the Pittsburgh Lutheran Jamboree. Hashtag blessed. The temptations start getting real. And not just now that Pastor Steve is on Instagram and he's getting followed by supermodels with their stuff hanging out. Also, my numbers are good. There are other things vying for his attention. Everyone is watching back home in Poughkeepsie. Like pride at how many people are following him. We can do better. We'll get followers in Binghamton and Utica. There's always the desire to do what it takes to become famous. Because as any marketing person will tell you, it's not enough just to sell your message. You also have to become the brand. And you've got to specialize. If you're interested in healing, don't just talk about healing, become the face of healing. If you want to talk about forgiveness, specialize in forgiveness. Be the go-to guy for discipleship or social activism. Or finding out who God created you to be. Which is a whole topic in itself. Anyhow, all of these specialists create a capital C church that is bifurcated into all these little camps that think that, I don't know, men's ministry is the ultimate answer. Or prison ministry, youth outreach, finding your true self. And we get so caught up in our camp. I want to defend the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible. That we start to forget that we're all on the same team and that the Bible is not about one thing. It's about a lot of things that are kept in tension, or else we go off the rails. If you don't read the version that was written in Hebrew and Greek, then translated into Latin, and then translated into English, you're just not getting the real thing. That's one problem, and it's a lot to take in. We're encouraging pastors, content creators, evangelists to walk into a minefield of pride, self-promotion, and specialization. 
And what starts out with good intentions, sharing the gospel, becomes yet another way to divide us. Instead of identifying with Christ, we identify with certain celebrity pastors. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that he's heard about quarrels among the people. Some of them are saying that they are of Paul, others of Apollos, and others of Cephas. The average Corinthian Christian identified with the person who shared the gospel with them, not with their Savior. Paul calls them out on this because those guys, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, are not what this thing is about. It's about Jesus. Cephas didn't live a perfect life. Apollos didn't die on a cross for your sins, and Paul was not resurrected. We do this all the time today. It shouldn't be about whether or not you're in the camp of Francis Chan or John MacArthur. It's about following Jesus, ultimately. There are other issues too, and we'll be covering these things more as we work through this series, but let's spend the rest of our time on this idea of celebrity Christians. Of this thing with Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, guys who were doing the work of the Lord, but people wanted to follow them and lost sight of the real message. Which brings us to the second major problem. We saw this with the church before the Protestant Reformation. The church back then was run by priests and bishops and the Pope, who was the final word in all things Christian at the time. Prevailing wisdom said that the average person couldn't possibly understand the Bible or what God meant by it. That's why we needed priests, bishops, and popes. They were the ones who had the goods, which made them untouchable. If the bishop said that you had to pay money to get your relatives out of purgatory, you believed him because he was the authority and because you probably couldn't read to prove him wrong. We are in no small way doing that same thing today. We're in danger of creating new popes. You know you've had this conversation before. Did you hear what Andy Stanley said about Jesus walking on water? No, the story's pretty obvious. Jesus kind of explains what it's about. It's so much deeper, though. I listen to his podcast, read his books, subscribe to his blog. Andy Stanley did all of this research. He got super deep. Some of us, without knowing it, forget that these tools are nice, but we don't need them. We can understand the Bible for ourselves without a mega-pastor's help. I get really uncomfortable with the idea of famous Christians. And I say that as a guy who is actively trying to spread the word about this podcast. I'd like the work to be known, but I'd like to stay unknown. Yet, I'm constantly being pushed to be the face of all this. All of us content creators struggle with these things. Even if we start with pure motives, we're fighting the trappings of celebrity. And when it comes to celebrity, Jesus had a tenuous relationship with it himself. Let's go back to my conversation with Andrew Schwab of Project 86. So I, I was uh, reading today in my quiet time, and it's funny this came up, but Luke 8, uh, Jesus is called on by a synagogue leader to come and heal his daughter who's died. And he heals the child, you know, mm -hmm. tells her to get up and she gets up. And then he tells them, don't tell anybody what just happened. Mm -hmm. um, and he does that a bunch of times in the Bible. He heals somebody and says, don't, don't tell anybody what just happened, which is sort of Jesus's way of managing his fame, if we can say mm -hmm. that, his notoriety. How do you see what we do as Christians and media creators? Because our goal is usually like, 
if you did anything, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter. How, like, are we following Jesus' example or are we not? It's a complex question because Jesus was doing that because his time had not yet come. Which is a fascinating word search. Look up phrases like his time or his hour had not come. There is this idea in the New Testament that Jesus was waiting for something. We've got these stories of him feeding thousands of people and giving these big speeches, and then he disappears, goes off to a quiet place, leaves the crowd, or is driven out of town. He heals people and tells them, keep it to yourselves. His time had not come to be presented as Messiah and King, and we know about the triumphal entry. There is a an intentional moment there that he was strategizing with his attempts to, and I put attempts in quotes, attempts to remain obscure, right? Because he was fulfilling a prophecy on that very day and in that very moment. Jesus had all of these exact things, these prophecies that he had to fulfill. He couldn't just pop into Israel, give a good speech or two, and drop the mic. He had to teach us stuff like how to pray, and the Sabbath day is not more important than people. He had to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and be killed on a tree. He had to teach us to forgive each other, to do the slow work of discipling his crew. That stuff takes time. This idea of trying to become famous or become known or develop a platform runs counter to a lot of the things that we have been taught by Jesus because of the pride element. Pride is the largest, most egregious, egregious capital sin in the Bible, right? It's the thing that ultimately can separate us from God. After all, pride is as old as Adam and Eve wanting to be like God. Now, how do we combat that? Because am I saying that it is unbiblical or ungodly or unholy to pursue these things? No. But it all comes down to your motivation and the intention that you put into the process each day. Which is, for content creators like me, very key. Am I doing this for me or to make Christ known? Or is it because I want to be famous? You have to create from a place of inner connection, almost therapeutic connection with your higher power. And the magic that happens in that place if done properly is this you will make great product or communication or artifacts if you are genuinely connecting it deeply with your higher power throughout the creative process and the public platform that's derived from it will be a consequence rather than an end in and of itself I'm not gonna lie, I get a little freaked out by this technology as a content creator and as a content consumer. There are a lot of voices out there telling people like me that I have to become the center of attention. I have to become the brand. As a creator, I'm happy to keep the content about Jesus and his work. Also, I want, in a selfish way, to have my moment like Andrew did where I see that my work made an impact even if it's just writing on a bathroom stall. As a marketer who needs to pay for this show, who wants to do this full time, I'm tempted to get a small fraction of what Justin Bieber or Kim Kardashian have. 
where they can wear a t-shirt and sell thousands of units, which would help keep the lights on. I should be telling of the free undeserved gift I've received that is also available to you. How do you do that? Pay the bills, keep the commandments, and spread the word all at the same time. How we as the church decide to do that from here on will define how the church looks going forward. Are we for Paul? Are we of Apollos or Cephas? Are we of John MacArthur or Spurgeon, Osteen or Alistair Begg, Swindoll, Chandler, Warren or Graham? Or are we of Jesus? Truce is a listener-supported show. You can find us on a bunch of social media platforms at Truce Podcast or on our website at trucepodcast.com. We're going to spend more time with Andrew Schwab of Project 86 and the Pioneers Podcast on our next episode, and I'll post links to his account on our site. If you like the show, check out my films Bringing Out Bobby and Between the Walls and my novel Cradle Robber. And more importantly, keep this show in your prayers. I'd really appreciate it. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce.